Welcome to Onward in the Faith. My name is Ray Burns, and I want to provide a practical resource for your walk with Christ. If you don't know, Onward in the Faith is supported by listeners like you who believe in this ministry and want to see it continue to grow. So if you would like to become a monthly supporter, you can visit me at patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith, and the link to that will be down in the show notes. For today's episode, I'd like to get very practical and talk about really how to know God's will for your life. This is a very haunting question that a lot of us deal with, really from the time we can really think about our purpose in the world, almost all the way up until the day of our death. And that's because we know inherently that we have some purpose, some meaning to our life. And we want to know what that is. We want to know what it is we're supposed to do and why we were created. And if we're honest, sometimes we want it to be really easy and for someone just to tell us, hey, here's what you need to do with your life. Here's what you need to do to make this certain decision about marriage or your job or your kids or whatever. And one reason that it's appealing to have someone tell us or to have a sign of what our purpose is is that we're afraid of making a mistake. We only have this one life to live. And if we make the wrong choice, that could set us up for a domino effect that ends with us basically ruining our life and missing out on whatever chance we had at happiness or importance or just really living out our full purpose. And as Christians, we have an even weirder position because we trust that God knows our purpose. We trust that he created us with a purpose in mind. And so when we know that we have this big God and we know that he is personal and that he loves us and he's invested in us, then we can get frustrated when we still have no idea what to do. And so we'll seek answers in the world. We'll seek answers in our friends or family to tell us. We will try to find signs. Maybe we'll, you know, crack open the Bible and try to find some kind of deep mystery in there, like we're Indiana Jones excavating for some long-lost secret in the Bible that no one has seen until just now, when we finally find our purpose in it. Because really, we want an easy answer. We want it to be like the days of Moses and Abraham, where God would just come down or send a messenger and say, hey, this is what you need to do. And unfortunately, we don't get that. But Just because we don't have these clear indications from God of the step-by-step process we need to take in our lives doesn't mean that he hasn't given us a way to know what his will and purpose for our lives is. And so what I'd like to do today is talk about kind of two aspects of that. First, I'd like to talk about kind of the big picture of how we know God's purpose for our life. Why were we created in the first place? Why did God bother sending Christ to redeem us? You know, what, what's the point of it all? And then from there, I'd like to talk just briefly about knowing that big picture purpose of our lives. How do we apply that? What, what do we do with it once we know why God created us in the first place and what sort of his big picture is for our lives? How do we apply that to specific situations? So first, I think that the best place to find the purpose for our lives is in Romans 8, 29. And that says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And the thing to really focus in on there is that he predestined us to become conformed to the image of his Son, of Jesus Christ. So put very simply, God has one primary purpose and desire for our lives. He created us with one thing in mind, and that was to make us like Jesus Christ. 
So whenever we're sitting there saying, what does God want me to do? I feel stuck. I feel like I have no meaning or purpose. We have right here God's primary desire for every life of everyone, which is simply to become more like Jesus Christ. And in that way, we will become less like the world. And when we look at this idea of being conformed, this carries kind of the the meaning or the idea of really being similar to Jesus Christ, being like him, being kind of in his mold, in his likeness. So if you think of a cookie cutter as a, as a simple example, a cookie cutter makes things into one shape, into one image. And that's what God wants for us, is God wants us to be a representation of Jesus Christ. He wants our lives, our goals, our desires to really just be a reflection of who Christ is in our lives. And we see this further in Ephesians 1.4, which says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And so again, here we see that, that God has chosen us with a specific purpose in mind. Even before the foundation of the world, his goal for your life and my life and the life of every believer that would follow Jesus Christ is that we would be holy, that we would be blameless, and above all, that we would find our identity in Jesus Christ. Who we are isn't our job, our marriage, our kids, how intelligent we are. Who we are is meant to be found in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, when we set our our lives on reflecting Christ, then they will become a clear indicator of his presence. People will be able to look at us and watch us and engage with us and say, that's Jesus Christ. Sometimes that'll be good because they're going to see Christ's love and his compassion and his sacrificial nature in how we interact with others. Other times, they may be offended and hate us, as Christ promised, because they're going to see our love of holiness and our hatred of sin and our call for repentance and people's need for the forgiveness of sins. But whatever form Christ takes in our lives, and he's going to take on a lot because we're going to want to reflect every aspect of Jesus Christ, the bottom line is that it's very, very clear in in reading all throughout the Bible and all throughout when God reveals his purpose for people that God saves us, but then he wants to change us. It's not just a matter of, okay, you're saved. You've got your get out of hell free card. No, it's we have been saved. Now the Holy Spirit can get to work in our lives. Now we can become more and more like Jesus Christ. And from there, less and less like the world. And when that starts happening, when God starts changing us like that, then we can start living out our bigger purpose in this life right now. Because we know that at the end of the day, when we're dead, when we go to heaven, we're going to have those perfect bodies. We're going to be glorified and just enjoy a sin-free existence. But until then, God is still doing something, and God still has a desire for us. And we can see that in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And this is an incredibly freeing reality for us to face. Because when we're trying to figure out what is our purpose, what is our goal, what should I be pursuing in my life? You know, anyone in the world can desire and find meaning in earthly things. 
which is specifically what God calls us not to do. He calls us to be different and weird from what everyone else finds their purpose in. Because anyone can find purpose in making a lot of money or being famous or living a long and healthy life or being successful in their career or even just being a good person. Anyone can find meaning in that. Anyone can set their lives and exhaust their own efforts in pursuing those things. And those things aren't wrong on their own. Those things can be very good gifts from God. But what we need to realize is that even though they're good things, they are not ultimate things for a follower of Jesus Christ. Because when we focus on those things, things like making money or being happy or being successful, then what that does is that feeds our greed. And most of all, it feeds our pride. It lets us know that we have value. It lets us know that we have done something good and have been rewarded for our efforts. And when we do that, what that does is that teaches us to find satisfaction in things of the world or in ourselves instead of finding satisfaction in God. And we see how broken that is because God has called us to do the exact opposite. In Psalm 37 verse 4, it says to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now that can be exciting if our desires are for money and success and power and popularity because we think, oh, well, if I follow God, he's going to give me what I want. But no, we need to pay very close attention to what's happening here because this still feeds into God's ultimate purpose for us. So first, we need to find ourselves in God. That needs to be our focus. It says to delight yourself in the Lord, first of all, not to put a quarter in the vending machine called God and then get out what you've paid for. It says to simply delight yourself in him. And the natural conclusion is that you're going to get the desires of your heart. But what that actually means isn't that God's going to feed our greed. He's not going to feed our lusts. When we delight in God, we're going to delight in the things of him. We're going to love good. We're going to love purity. We're going to love holiness. We're going to love everything God loves. And because of that, he's going to give us our desires because our desires are going to be for him, for his glory, for the things that he loves, not the things that we love. And so all this comes about when we are focusing on that ultimate purpose, that, that meaning, that drive that we have to simply be more like the image of Jesus Christ, less like who the world wants us to be, less like the person we were before we were saved by Jesus Christ. And instead, we're going to find everything that we need in God because God's going to strip away all those false ideas we have about needing money to be happy, needing a good job to feel like we have purpose and meaning. He's going to remove all of that and show us that our greatest aim, our greatest desire, and our greatest satisfaction is simply in who he is and living the life that he desires for us, both in a big picture sense, in being more like Christ, but also in the nitty gritty details of life where we say, okay, I know my purpose in life. I know my goals. I know why God has me here. Now, how does that impact me today? And we're going to be able to glorify God and love him and serve him and find satisfaction in him because he's going to be our focus first and everything else will just be a result of that. And so now let's talk about how do we know God's more specific will for an individual's life? We know his desire for everyone through all time. But what does that mean today? Because we have more specific things on our minds today. When we want to know God's will for us, yes, a lot of times that has to do with why am I here? But a lot of times that will also take the shape of, okay, what do I do 
now with this specific decision. And when we strip away all the doubt and the uncertainty and get right down to it, understanding God's purpose for whatever decision we're facing today, we're going to find it when we have the mind of Jesus Christ. And so when we know our big purpose first, it will give more meaning to what God says in his word about our desires and how to know his will. And so, for example, when we read in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8, now, before I read this, keep in mind that we are reading this with now the understanding of God wants us to find satisfaction in him, first of all. He wants us to be more like Jesus Christ above anything else. Now, knowing that, think about what these words are saying. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. And so what we're seeing here is a very specific breakdown of when we find our satisfaction in God, then his more specific will will become obvious to us. Because the opposite of that is also in this. When we trust in our own power, when we trust in our own knowledge, when we try to find satisfaction apart from God, then our paths become corrupted. Our understanding of how to act and what to do will be compromised by our own sinfulness. And so when it comes to knowing the will of God, there are times when we're going to know it specifically and exactly. It's going to be very clear what he wants us to do in a situation. But sometimes it will also require us to simply walk by faith. But if we want to walk by faith, we don't just close our eyes and start taking steps and hoping God catches us. Instead, when we walk by faith, we do it because we have so much trust in him that we don't require sight in order to act. We know that he's going to guide us, he's going to lead us, and he's not going to let us fail because ultimately all we're trying to do is glorify him, serve him, and be more like Jesus Christ in our everyday life. And so when God's primary purpose is our primary purpose, his will becomes clear. And this is even confirmed when we read Romans 12 too. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So when we seek Christ, our minds are going to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Because at salvation, we were given the Holy Spirit, and his primary goal, as we've talked in previous episodes, is to grow us, to create fruit in us that shows that we are indeed people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And the Holy Spirit will make us think and act more and more like Christ, not because we want to look good, but simply because that's a natural result of having the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. And so when the Holy Spirit starts transforming our life and transforming our mind, then something really interesting is going to happen because the the sinful mind isn't going to know God's will. It's not going to care about God's will. A a mind that is set on the world, on earthly things, is only going to care about those things. But when our minds are renewed, when they are transformed, when they are taken from their broken state and instead allowed to focus on God, then we're going to be able to know his will because we're going to see him more clearly. We're going to care about him more completely And so our decisions are going to become clear because 
we are ultimately going to want those decisions to do one thing and one thing only. And that's not to make us happy. That is not to give us comfort. That's not to make us feel good. We're going to want nothing more than to just honor God, to bring him glory. And so it really, it just all boils down to having the mind of Christ. When we have the mind of Christ, we're going to be able to see the world like Christ does. We're going to understand God like Christ does. And so when it comes to understanding whether our big primary purpose in being created or specific questions we have about what path to take in our life, it's going to become more clear to us because we aren't setting our mind on things that don't matter. We're going to set it on the one person who does matter. And from that, everything else will become more obvious. And so I want to just go through three quick examples of how we can know God's will in a specific situation in our lives. So the first one is job decisions, a big one that a lot of people have to make. So the first thing we can do when we're deciding, do I take this job? Do I leave this job? Do I switch jobs? is first we need to examine our own hearts in the situation because we know our hearts are deceptive. We know they want to pull us towards sin. And so when we have our mindset on Christ, we're going to be able to examine ourselves, examine our motives and say, at the end of the day, am I trying to glorify God with this decision I'm making or am I seeking the things of the earth, the things that other people can seek? And from there, we can start asking some specific questions that are always driving us towards being more like Christ and bringing glory to God. So we can ask ourselves, will this job decision hinder my family responsibilities? Will it take me away from my spiritual responsibilities? Whether that's being unable to meet with church or small group, or if I would have to give up ministry opportunities that I have in order to pursue this job, are those things that I should give up for a job? Another big question is, will this lead me into unnecessary temptation? So depending on the job, depending on the positions, there are jobs that can expose us to things like drugs and alcohol that for Christians may not be wise to be exposed to. Jobs that require travel also carry with them the unfortunate side effect of making it easier to be unfaithful to our spouse, whether that is physically committing adultery, whether that is being lonely and finding comfort in certain websites or TV channels, you know, things like that can lead us to departing from the things of God because of our job. Another unnecessary temptation is simply the love of money or a desire for power. You know, will taking this job really corrupt what our focus is on? Because while the money is nice, or it feels good to have power, are those things helping us bring honor to God, or are they making us our own gods? And then another question we can ask is simply, will this job compromise my testimony? You know, because there are some jobs that, while not inherently sinful, can hurt our ability to share Christ with others or to serve in our church. And so that's a question we need to ask ourselves is, is this job ultimately going to help me bring more glory to God, or is my job going to stand in the way of serving him more and more. Another question where a lot of people find themselves wanting to know the will of God is, should I change my church? Should I visit a different church? Should I leave church altogether? And so again, we can start with examining our own hearts. Why do we want to join this new church? Why do we want to leave our current one? Are there actually problems? Are we bored? Are we distracted by something shiny at a new church? 
do we have interpersonal problems that we need to deal with first? Because we know that when we go to this new church, we're still bringing us to that new church and everything broken and sinful and wicked about us doesn't get left at the old church. It's going to come right along with us and create new issues. But beyond just examining our own reasons for wanting to change churches or what have you, is that by focusing on God and focusing on Christ, we are going to want to know what the purpose of church is in the first place. Because our world has the unfortunate idea that everything exists to entertain us and to make us happy. And so when we are looking at switching churches or joining a new church, it's easy to say, do I feel good here? Does this make me happy? Am I entertained? But when we start having the mind of Christ, we start looking at why did he establish the church in the first place? Why did he die and save us into this universal family of followers? And with that, we're going to be able to study the Bible and see that, well, one of our primary purposes of the church is to serve one another. Again, big cultural emphasis is on us being served, us being entertained, us being fed. And instead, the Bible doesn't call us to say, well, what does the church give me? But instead, what can I do for the church? What can I do for the bride of Jesus Christ? Another thing we can ask about our understanding of the the purpose of the church is, Am I wanting to be equipped to grow, or do I just want to be spoon-fed truth week after week? In other words, am I approaching my current church with the desire to learn and study and be encouraged in my growth so that I can then turn around and help others grow? Because the bad emphasis, like I said, can be on just wanting to go and sit and be spoon-fed by our pastor for an hour or two once a week, and that's the only real exposure we have to the things of God. And that's not at all what God calls us to. That's not what it looks like when we're setting our minds on Christ, because we want to grow every day. And the church is a wonderful place to be sharpened by other believers, to live out our purpose and our gifts and how we bless and love on others. And in a way, it's almost like having our batteries recharged for the week because we get to sit under the teachings of our pastor and the guidance of others and just be further equipped in our deeper walk with Christ. But another question we can ask when we're evaluating our current church or a new one is, is this pastor accurately handling the word of God? Because whether we like a church or not, whether a pastor is a good pastor or not, has nothing to do with our minor disagreements on things like a Bible version they prefer or how they interpret a particular verse in the Bible. Because those are very minor things. The big question we need to ask is, do they know how to actually read the Bible? Do they know how to read it in its historical context, as I've discussed in my episode about reading and understanding the Bible? Do they know how to use the Bible in the way that God intended it, or are they using it to tickle people's ears? Are they using it to make people feel good and using it as a way to manipulate emotions? Or are they using it as a weapon, as a way to beat down other people, whether it's people who are not saved and setting the world as the enemy, or whether it's beating down other Christians and mocking them and berating them for how they choose to serve God and to love God and to worship God. And above all, when we're seeking the mind of Christ, when we're trying to live out our purpose of glorifying God, the big question we're going to ask is, does this church that I'm in preach the gospel? And do they preach holy living? Because ultimately, a church should be doing 
two things. One, they should be calling people to repentance from their sins, because without that, all they're doing is talking to a bunch of enemies of God and trying to make them feel good until God carries out justice on them. So if people aren't being told to repent and to believe in the death of Jesus Christ and to turn from their sins, then what's the point of getting up there every week? What's the point of getting together? But then beyond that, it's not just about getting people saved and telling them to sit down in church every week. It's also about this holy living, this entire thing that I've been talking about this whole episode, this expectation and this desire that God has for us to not just be forgiven for the bad we've done, but also to just love good, to want to have our lives more and more look like how Christ would live today. And again, the more we have the mind of Christ, the more we care about those things and the more clear our decision will become about our current church or a new church because we're not seeking to please ourselves. We're seeking to follow God above all else. And then finally, a big question that a lot of us have is in regards to marriage. And I'm keeping this one kind of purposely vague because there are some listeners who may be married or are wondering about marriage or unfortunately might be even considering a divorce. And so again, first thing we can do in loving God and wanting to fulfill our purpose is to examine ourselves. Are we treating marriage or our spouse as an idol? Are we looking for this to satisfy us? Do we think that this will finally end that feeling of emptiness that we have? You know, are we treating marriage as our means for happiness or are we treating it as God's goal in our life to point to him? In other words, are we serving God in how we're handling and thinking about marriage, or are we serving ourselves? And then when we care about Christ and want to be more like him, then we can do something that is so backwards from the world, and that is to consider what is God's overall purpose for marriage? Because the world treats it as just a way to hang out with somebody a lot and maybe get a tax break, but above all, marriage in the world is designed for our happiness. But is that why God designed it? And I don't want to hammer on this too much, but we see as we read the Bible that marriage wasn't just something we came up with. The The picture of the church isn't something where God looked at marriage and said, oh, you know, the church is kind of like marriage. Let's, let's call it that. No, God at creation knew that he would have to send Christ to die for us and that he would need to bring people back to himself. And so God instituted marriage as almost a shadow or a picture of, of our relationship with Christ, not us as individuals, but Christ and the entire church body. And so when we understand that, and when we're wanting to make the things of Christ primary in our life, then marriage becomes this fascinating and beautiful thing where we aren't just in marriage to make ourselves happy. We are in marriage to show a kind of a messy version of Christ's perfect relationship with his church. And that involves forgiveness and love and patience and all these things that are completely against how the world tends to treat it. But another purpose for marriage is physical needs. And that can be relevant when we're trying to pick a spouse or in a marriage relationship that calls for us to be considerate of our spouse and their needs and also our own needs and understanding that th there's a physical purpose to our marriage. Another thing to consider about marriage is that it's really about iron sharpening iron. A marriage is primarily two believers living together. That's, that's God's goal because we as Christians are called to walk side by side and put our lives into those who are also going in the same direction as us. 
And so when we're considering, should I marry this person or am I being a good spouse? What we need to really ask is, am I going to help this person love God more? And are they going to sharpen me to love God more? And then finally, with marriage, we can ask ourselves, you know, do I fully understand God's purpose of submission and sacrifice within a marriage relationship? Because again, it's not about our happiness. It's not about us having power over someone else. It's all about, am I accurately approaching marriage with the intention to live out God's picture of Jesus Christ and his church? And so when we're considering understanding the will of God in our lives, when we when we know that we want above all else to live out this purpose of being more like Jesus and just having our lives more and more day by day reflect who he is, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his need for justice, his unending forgiveness. In the end, no matter how much we understand those things, it's still not a guarantee that we're going to know exactly what to do in every single situation. We may still sit there and be uncertain on how to act, despite how much we know we're seeking after God. And sometimes that might be because a question simply doesn't have a a sinful result. You know, if we can keep it lighthearted, it'd be like ice cream flavors. What is God's will for me at Baskin Robbins? You know, we've got all these flavor choices. What is God's will? And sometimes that's not something we should be stressing about. Sometimes we just go with what we like. But other times we might need to employ just some really practical ways of understanding God's will. First of all, should always, always, always be prayer. Because if we aren't turning to God in prayer, then we aren't turning to God at all. Because we can't just live our lives by us just going with our gut instinct and thinking we know best. That's trusting in our own will, which we are specifically warned against in that Proverbs passage that we read. But instead... God tells us in James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So we see here that if we pray, God is going to give us wisdom in the situation. That's not saying he's going to give us answers to know exactly what we should do, but he will give us the wisdom to make a decision. And some ways that that wisdom could come out is for us to simply seek the advice of wise believers. Hopefully everyone listening here has at least that one believer in their life who is wise and mature and that they can turn to and say, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to see God's will. What do you think? And we can trust that person to not give us a perfect answer because they're just as fallen and broken as we are, but we can trust that they are trying to live out their own purpose of reflecting Christ and can then give us good godly counsel about some question that we have. And another way to know God's will is honestly sometimes just to do something. You know, in this in this age of easy information and everyone talking and everyone giving their opinion, we can almost become dependent on needing to know exactly what to do before we will ever act. We become terrified of making a wrong decision. And so instead of being willing to make the wrong decision and learn, we instead make no decision whatsoever and just hide in our safety blanket until it becomes obvious what we should do. But that's not what God has ever called us to. God calls us to walk by faith. Now that's not, again, a blind kind of faith where we act without regard for wisdom or what God desires. No, walking by faith in its very basic sense is simply saying, God, I've sought you as much as I can in this situation. 
I've prayed you for wisdom. And as far as I can tell, this is the wise path that you have for me. If I'm right, please give me comfort. If I'm wrong, reveal it to me so that I can learn your will and either make the right decision or grow from this so that I can have more wisdom in the future. And with that, I want to end this on an encouragement because I know that when we talk about how can I know the will of God and someone says they have an answer, we make the mistake of thinking, aha, this is going to give me the exact answer I want. And I honestly think that the best answer that we can give with that is the vague one that I've given, which is that no one can tell you God's exact purpose for your specific situation or your specific life. All we can do are follow these guidelines because these guidelines are based on nothing more than trying to honor Christ and serve him and pursue him. Because when we do that, other decisions are important, but they're not as important. They are secondary. They come after we have sought God and pursued him and loved him with all our hearts and our minds. But with that, I do want to give one specific encouragement, and that comes from Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27. For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? One aspect of God is his sovereignty. It's his overwhelming power and intimate presence in every situation. It is the reality that God is in control. And when we really think about that, that should give us great comfort. Because on one hand, no matter what we do, whatever decision we're making, whatever uncertainty we have that we're going to act on, the one thing we need to remember as we see in this Isaiah passage, and again, Isaiah 14, 27, read it, read it, and read it. Because we see here the beauty of God in that no matter how much we screw something up in our own minds, we can't mess up God's plans. If we make the wrong decision, God's not up there wringing his hands, pulling his hair out and saying, oh no, I had all these plans and all these ideas, but they screwed it up. What am I going to do? That's not the God of the universe. That's us. That's our own inability to do anything right or to plan for our future. But that is not God. God is not a super version of us. He is God. Whatever we do, as long as we are pursuing him, in a way, it's going to be the right decision because that's where God has led us. You know, this God who's who's sovereign and in control is even the one who has brought us to this moment where we have no idea what to do. I mean, that's just how involved and incredible God is and why sometimes just thinking about him blows our minds because he, he is so much bigger than anything we can understand. And we are these little children trying to make these decisions that seem so big. And God is there with all power, all understanding. And at the end of the day, he's probably just sitting there saying, look, it's fine. I've got you. Just trust. Just have faith. Do what I've taught you is right. Do what I've sent the Holy Spirit to comfort you in. Because ultimately, God is good. God is our comfort. He is our refuge. He is our safety. And so with that, we know that we can rest in our identity in Jesus Christ, in how we are made to reflect him, made to pursue him, and to be more and more like him and less and less like the world. With God, we can rest in that bigger purpose. And when we're doing that, when our focus is on the things above and not on things below, when we're not being distracted and led astray by money and anxiety and fear and power 
and comfort and happiness. When those things aren't our primary goal, when we don't think that those things are why we were created, then at the end of the day, we're going to be able to rest in the will of God. Whatever it is for our own specific lives, for that specific purpose, we will be able to rest knowing that the almighty God of the universe is in control and guiding us and never letting us go. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. I hope and pray above all else that it's given you a bigger picture of God and your role in the life that he's given you. If you found this episode helpful or encouraging, I hope that you will share it with others. If you haven't yet, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and maybe even leave a review, letting other people know that Onward in the Faith is a practical resource that can help others. If you'd like to read an article about this topic, I'll link it down in the show notes, along with a link to my Patreon, where you can support me every month. Now, keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.